The following audio content is a talk from Convergence, a service for young adults at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website at upc.org forward slash young adults. Well, thank you for that video, I think. Uh, Brenna, it is, I did actually think that I was going to get away uh, with uh, my birthday being missed, but I, I do appreciate that. Um, a lot. I had a great time in um, Hawaii, and I actually, um, I love the fact that I didn't actually worry about convergence because I knew that it was in good hands, and there is something that is uh, uh, pretty amazing and pretty gratifying when you actually realize you're not needed. And so um, I'm glad to be here. Uh, I'm glad to be back with you, but I'm also um, really, really glad that uh, I um, was missed, but wasn't needed. I mean, it's a, that's a testimony to the, to, uh, the staff and the leaders, uh, that are, have been, uh, running things here and then Ryan and Dave and everyone that I feel like I have a great community around me, um, uh, to support. Uh, it was a, a unique time. It was a really great time because we haven't had an opportunity like that to get away, um, f- uh, for two weeks, kind of a, a extended time away since uh, I came. And so it was a real gift for us. It's something we've been trying to work out and plan for a long time. Um, so we came back. It's, you know, it's funny. I've been getting back and I, I got to tell you, you always feel really bad when you go to a sunny place and then you come back to Washington. <laughs> you always feel like you have to apologize to everybody. I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But it was awesome. The sun, you should see it sometimes. So, but it was nice to come back and, but people then ask me, they go, you know, are you, are you hurt or did you just pick up a swagger? And I, I'm, I'm hurt pretty bad. Uh, that's Hawaii. That was Hawaii for me. I, um, I, uh, twisted my knee pretty bad. I'm getting better. But, uh, I kind of, I'm not really sure how to answer that because I really don't want to admit that I'm hurt because clearly that, means I'm getting older, maybe 38. Two days after my birthday, um, I finally got out. I used to grow up uh, boogie board, and I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out. I'm boogie boarding or surfing, just a, something. i got to get out. Finally, we had some time to get out. And the first beach we stopped at, you know, I was looking out, and I thought, you know, it looks... Um, you know, it, it, it looks good. There's some good, there's lots of people out, but it's also a big, um, break right on the beach. That kind of looks dangerous. So I'm looking out, but I go, ah, you know, I, I, I'll get tossed around a little bit. No big deal. Well, you know, 10 minutes in, basically, um, my knee gets uh, messed up. So, uh, pretty frustrating, but yeah, so I had spent some of my time and I know nobody's going to cry for me because, you know, you're in Hawaii. So what's it going to be like? Oh, more time at the pool. Could I get another Mai Tai, please? Um, so I sucked it up, you know, but it's a good, it's humility. You know, you think, I just, maybe I couldn't do what I, what I used to be able to do. I mean, I did feel, I wasn't, well, I felt mixed, honestly, because I, later on, I found that the beach, the, the one beach that I decided to sort of, um, you know, jump in and, and uh, go play in the water in, uh, my first time was the beach that is known for people breaking all kinds of things, including necks. People are like, oh, yeah. Breakneck beach? Yeah. So I don't know if that makes me tough or just kind of dumb. Um, either one, I, I sort of said it with it, uh, but we had, you know, when you have kids, um, it's not really restful to go on vacation, I'll be honest. It's not particularly peaceful. It's, um, can actually be kind of exhausting. It's all about experience and it's all about uh, getting out and uh, having some fun memories together and just having a change of pace. We, uh, we have some pictures there. We we had a great time at you know at the pool. Basically, the boys are swimming uh, constantly. You know, we got out and we uh, did some stuff. I think there's a, pictures of uh, we there's some old pillboxes. We went on these hikes and old um, kind of army bunkers. We went and the you know the boys yeah <laughs> they they were pirates. They were pretty bad a. Eh? Um, so we got you know we got up and did that. We went to a luau, you know, which which was great. Um, you know, there we are. Get your picture taken on the way in, and it's, uh, my extended family, who a great um, sister-in-law and and uh, Shannon's folks, and we had a we had a great time. I you know the luau is always awesome, and and I appreciate it especially because I have video of Shannon uh, learning to hula that I just keeping for leverage. Um, <laughs> Because it can it can come out whenever I need it, um, but we you know we went um, we went up and we you're trying to you know you're, you're with kids you're trying to have just the right amount of activity without too much right you, and and you flirt with the line you go over the line and you're gonna pay. 
dearly. But you got to, you know, we got active boys, so we were moving. And, you know, so we're, you were out, we went hiking one day, we went up to this uh, waterfall, and it, it seemed like it wasn't very far in the guidebook, as far as we understood. We, so we start walking, but it ends up being that, it, you know, it was, um, we start getting more and more muddy, and, and we're slipping and sliding all over the place. And, and, um, and then pretty soon we're getting mud all over our legs and then you know, we're, we're going up this ridge and, and, uh, Noah's starting to get really bothered by the fact that he's got mud on his legs. You're like, we're, I don't know what to sell. I'll tell you. We're up on a ridge. We can't get down. And, and then things just kind of get worse and you start going, you start getting that sense like we're getting close to the edge. This might get bad. So, and then suddenly we get a tropical rainstorm. So now we're just getting dumped on. And uh, pretty soon things are starting to kind of fall, fall apart, you know, and you're starting to get, kind of get worried. You can tell that everyone's sort of not feeling really like they're having a good time anymore. Um, so it's dumping, and then we start to have to go down, uh, back down to the river, and now it is completely just muddy. And so it's like, it, it's like this, like, three or 400 foot uh, mudslide. So everyone's falling, and, you know, they're hitting, and they're, they're falling in the mud, and they're sliding down, and then we're walking through the, they were walking through this river, and, and, and it just, it feels like there's gonna be a flash flood at any moment. You know, and you know you're in trouble when you're, when you're, you know, you're yelling at your kid, and trying to hold back the expletives to tell them to, that we're having fun right now. <laughs> we're having fun. This is awesome. <laughs> so stop crying, right? So we, we hit the edge a little bit. And those are good. Those are, ba- those are, those are great family bonding moments. Um, and, uh, you know, tried to redeem it by taking Noah out swimming, but he didn't like the water, even though we're in a river. So he jumped on my back to try to get out of the water. Um, I started gulping water as I looked up at the big sign that said, don't drink the water, long, long name, I can't pronounce, bacteria, right? You're thinking, ugh, family, this is awesome. So, but the one thing that Noah did say he really wanted to do was to go uh, uh, boogie boarding or surfing, and he wanted surfing lessons, so we got out, which was awesome, and he... Um, uh, at least if I couldn't do it, I, you know, I hobbled myself out in the water and we, we thought we would do a little bit of uh, boogie. He loved it. He had a great time. He kept coming in and out and it was fun because it's that moment where we're like, this is, we're having a good time. You know, we're active, but we haven't gone over the line. It's great. Um, he's wanted it so bad. He talked about it endlessly. I want, I want to do surfing lessons. I want to do surfing lessons. Um, and so for us to be able to do that, because uh, sometimes stuff doesn't work out, was great. But if we pull out a little bit, I love that picture, but if you pull out, you begin to realize, oh yeah, well, it's all right. It's a good start, right? Well, I love, I love this picture. I started thinking about when we think about calling, because so often we get really excited about the opportunity that we might have to, to do something fun, to do something adventuresome. Um, and yet when we get out, we, we, we usually immediately start running into um, trouble. And Noah loved this. He had a great time. And, um, and yet uh, when he got turned over, he got uh, salt water shoved up his nose. And it just it drove him crazy. I mean, that's the one thing. He just lost it. Salt water up the nose, bad thing. Nobody likes that, right? It's difficult. But he got tossed around a little bit. And, and eventually he didn't necessarily want to go back and do it again. We only got uh, one day out there. And I tried to get him to go out and, and go boogie boarding again. And so we have, we have a sense of calling, yet for Noah, he wanted to surf so bad, and, and yet um, there's so much more in store for him than this. And he's six, and it's a, it's a start. And yet at some point, he's going to have to, to learn to overcome that, the difficulty that is going to be just part of, of learning to do anything, to, to, go, to, to go beyond a, a great idea, to go beyond excitement, into... Um, the more that's there. There's so much more in store for him than, than having his dad behind him, which is a good start, but having his dad push him in and, and really just going straight up on the sand, the waves that he is, um, I hope one day going to ride, uh, are, are so much bigger, so much more fun. Um, but he's going to have to learn to overcome difficulty. The thing that for us, as we think about calling, and, and as we think about a calling that goes beyond what's the... What's the thing that's going to make me successful? What's the thing that is going to uh, allow me to, to sort of to live into a, a kind of a powerful sense of who I am, that, that for me to be able to make a difference? One of the, the hardest things is when we bump up against difficulty and suffering in particular. And I just felt like you know, we, had, we had to talk about this. 
We have to spend some time to begin to say, how, what do we do when we, when we pursue the thing that we feel like makes all the sense in the world for us? We might even feel like God has called us to it. We might even have a sense that man, we were made for this. But once we start doing it, pretty soon we're getting tossed around. Um, we're getting injured and sent in where the salt water is up our nose and it, and it just hurts and it's just frustrating. One of the, the writers on calling that um, I like a lot, his name is Gordon Smith. He, he wrote a book on called Courage and Calling. And, and uh, he said, you know, of all the things, and he lists all the stuff, some of the, a lot of the stuff we've talked about. You, know, you talk about gifts. You talk about a sense of, of passion. You talk about a sense of fit. You might even talk about working with in, in an organization. He goes, all that stuff is really important. You talk about heartbeat. Where, where does the world need you? All that stuff, really, really important. But just as important, up there, in fact, he goes, you know what? It actually might be the most important thing. It's for us to learn how to understand difficulty and suffering that is embedded in the very nature of what it means to be called and to learn how to deal with it well. Maybe the most important aspect of our calling because so often what we do, like Noah, is the first time we hit something, we go, you know what? I guess this isn't it. So I'm out. And we miss the more. We have a sense of, maybe a sense of calling, but we miss the more. We miss the depth. We miss the significance. We we miss the joy. We miss the meaning. We miss the power. Because we don't know what to do when we hit those moments of suffering. And so, um, that's what I want us to be able to do. I want to, we're gonna, we're gonna spend some time in scripture, uh, and, and, uh, really, I just want to read some scriptures. because so what I want you to do is maybe just have some uh, a different narrative than perhaps what you have. Uh, to kind of run through your mind as you begin to, to bump into these areas of disappointment or frustration or, or limitations within our own calling. So that we can somehow maybe, maybe push beyond and experience them more. This is what I would want to say about suffering. Suffering in particular, disappointments in particular, they can be. They, they aren't always. But they're the gateway to the power of the gospel. Suffering is a gateway to the power of God in our lives. Think about that. It makes, it, it makes sense. A lot of times we, we've come to expect that, that when we do something right, that everything, or when we kind of pick the right, make the right decision, or when we find the right calling, that everything is going to work out well. But how can it be? Calling it for us, if we think about it going into any sense of depth or significance, is always going to be about healing brokenness. We talked about in the first week, what is it that we're called to? Before we come up with any specifics, I'm an engineer, because that's, an engineer is not a big enough calling for you. Teacher is not a big enough calling for you. Pastor is not a big enough calling for you. We're always called to God. And then we're called to join in his passionate mission at restoring the world. God is always at work. Walking into the mess and then saying, you know what? Michelle, I want you to come and do what I do with me. Andrew, I want you to come and I want you to do what I do with me. I, there's some, we gotta fix this. This world matters way, way too much. In fact, our own call to him is a call to step into brokenness, to step into a broken relationship in which we've been estranged from God, first and foremost. First call is to say, come back, walk into difficulty and darkness and brokenness. Call will always involve suffering because it's always going to involve us moving in, into places that are not right and beginning and to somehow begin to, to, to be an influence to move things into a better place, to move people into a better place, to move our family into a better place, to move ourselves into a better place. Call always is going to involve suffering because it always is going to bring us into a place of brokenness. It's always going to bring us into a place um, of repair. Call is always going to also involve suffering because um, calling always has to do about power. We're attracted to calling because there is a sense that if I find the right calling, I'm going to enter into I'm going to somehow discover some power, some power to make a difference some power to feel significant. 
The problem is, a lot of the times, a lot of the times, the way we approach power is that we choose power that is easy to grab onto and ultimately insignificant and usually manipulative instead of a power that is more difficult but is longer lasting and is transformative. So what I want us to do is we think about suffering and we can't, I mean, we can't look at the life of Jesus and not understand that his calling was all about suffering to some extent and how he took that on. So I want us to, I want us to use the framework of Jesus' temptation in Luke, but I want us to just use that framework and then I want us to kind of put some meat on. I want to give you some biblical characters, uh, uh, some moments when, of people who we would say when it comes to calling, if they're, they're great. We're talking about the greats. We're talking about like the greatest prophet. We're talking about the great king. We're co- talking about the greatest apostle. We're going to look at Moses, David, and Paul. We're going to use, look at the framework by Jesus' own suffering as he wrestles with this whole issue of power. So let me pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. Lord, thanks for, um, this time. Lord, I thank you that we have a moment to talk about you, that we have a moment to rest from the, from the day. Lord, I will confess that I am tired. I'm really tired tonight. And, um, I'm sure there are other people who are here and I'm thankful that, that they've come. Lord, as we come before you, um, we pray that you will fill us with your spirit, that you will give us uh, eyes to see things in a new way, ears to hear your word to us, that we would be empowered uh, to live a bold and courageous calling, a calling that draws us in to more. So, Lord, as we look into your scriptures, we pray that they would come alive to us anew tonight. In your name, amen. Think about... The ministry of Jesus. It's fascinating that right at the, right after he gets really affirmed, and you sort of have the sense of, this wonderful sense of call. He's anointed, he's baptized, and, and the heavens part, I mean, we, we all wish that we would have this, the heavens part, whoa, right? The light comes down, and you hear the voice out of heaven, this is my son. He's cool. Right? And everyone's like, that's, that's awesome, right? So what's the immediate next thing you think? Okay, out of the gates, he's got the call, right? All's good. Where does he go? Where does the spirit lead him? Into the desert. To be tempted. What? How does that work? It leads him immediately into the desert to be tempted before, and before any kind of ministry starts off, you see this, this interaction that we've come to know. It's, a, it's in Matthew and it's in Luke. It's, it's Jesus, it's this temptation in the, in the wilderness. And it's in this place where Jesus has to be, it, it, in a sense, there's going to be this working out of what is the power that he is going to draw on to fulfill his calling? R- big questions. What is the power? Is it going to be the power of God? Or is it going to be the power that is readily available to everybody else? He cannot fulfill his calling. This is the biggest thing. You guys, we cannot fulfill our calling to more, whatever that looks like, with our own, with our own power. We cannot do it. We do not have the capacity. You do not have the capacity to accomplish the thing that your heart desires. It's too big. You have you need God, and it's too big for Jesus. It, it, it was too big for Jesus. Jesus could not come in and accomplish on his own what he needed to do. So he has to wrestle with this. And so we read um, in Luke 4.14 that Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and when they had ended, he became Hungry, which is always just so awesome because it's this understatement of the century. After 40 days, he was like, ah, I'm kind of hungry. Right? Obvious. Then the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. In Matthew, he he expands that out. He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of of God. When you think about um, suffering being sort of a gate um, into the power of God, into the power of the gospel. And, and so I, I want to give you three things as we look at these. Three things in which there, you, in a sense, have to turn over if you're going to walk through that gate. You don't have to go through it. Suffering doesn't have to become a 
something that is positive in your life. It doesn't have to be something that opens you up to God. It's your decision. To walk through that gate, to experience what God has for you, you are going to have to pay a price. And that price is that you're going to have to give up one of, one of the tools of power that everybody else uses, because you can't hold on to that and walk through the gate. You just imagine it's a tiny little gate, and you got, maybe you, you're carrying this huge thing. It's like, yeah, the, I got this, and this is going to help me with my call. You have to drop it if you're going to walk through. We have these moments. Suffering comes along, these moments, these little gates, these little windows, in which we have the opportunity. You, could, you can drop the power. That's not, it's easy, for sure. You can pick it up. It's easy, but it's never going to accomplish what you need to do. The first thing is the power of acquisition. I want to look at the life of Moses, and we'll talk about this a little bit. So let's go way, way back. Moses, we're looking in Exodus, um, the very beginning of Exodus. One day, remember Moses, people are, are enslaved in, in uh, people of Israel enslaved in Egypt. Moses is born under amazing circumstances as the one who's going to rescue um, the people from their slavery. One day, Moses... Ha- ha- um, after Moses had grown up, he had been, remember, he had been plucked out of the water. He had actually been raised by uh, an Egyptian princess, the Pharaoh's daughter. Actually raised the one who was going to rescue the people from the Egyptians. And he went out to his own people, where his own people were, and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people, glancing this way and that. Um, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day, he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked, he asked the one, the he asked the one in the wrong, "Why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew?" The man said, "Who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me just like you you did the Egyptian?" Then Moses was afraid and thought, "What I did must have become known." When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to Midian, where he hung out for a really long, 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 long time as a shepherd in a faraway land. The power of acquisition. It is easy for us to be tempted to think that to fulfill my call, my sense of purpose in the world, that I could do it, that I could be empowered by it, um, that I could, uh, that it could be affirmed if I could only get, what, what, what is it? If I could only get this thing, then if I could only do this, then I, if I could only kind of just do this, then I would get what I need to be able to, to move ahead. What's fascinating, here's the deal. Moses, he is called to be a figure who plays a major role in the freeing of the, of the Israelites from 400 years of slavery. It's his call. It's who he's called to do. And yet at, the, and yet at this moment, you can just th- think about this. He has to free an entire nation from the most pow- entire nation, entire group of people from the most powerful nation, um, or at least one of the most powerful nations in that time in the world. When you think about it, when he goes and he kills one Hebrew or one slave master, it's kind of sad. One slave master, when you have an entire system that is built around the slavery of the Israelite people. What happens is when we feel like we need to get something to accomplish our own call. When we need to sort of... Uh, um, If I can only have this, then I will be empowered, then I will be affirmed. What we often do is we, the actions that we take, they seem bold at the time, but they're actually counterproductive. They're somewhat pathetic when you think about in the long term. And they usually end up undermining our credibility. What is it that we want to acquire that will tell us that I am called? The devil comes to Jesus and says, hey, look, man, if you're the son of God, if, if you're called, then tell, these, tell this bread. Tell these stones to become bread. There's a subtle temptation that we will have that we'll run in. We'll run into this place in which we will need something. 
in which we'll feel like we don't have everything we need. And so we're, we're going to be tempted to think, if I could just grasp that, what is that? I'm not, what is that for you? Is it a role? For some of us, we feel like, you know what, if I just had authority, if I just had the promotion, I could finally do what I feel like I'm supposed to be doing. If I could just have that job, I would, fi- I would be able to fulfill my call and do what it is that I feel like I'm called to. If I had, you know, just the, I just need to find the, the right friends or the right mentor, then, then I would, then I could actually fulfill my call. We're always deferring, we're always looking to that one thing that we just don't have. But if we had it, it would change everything. If I just, gosh, if I just, you know, if I could get that paycheck. What if I just, what if I just found that spouse? Then, you know, then I would be able to, to fulfill this call that I feel like a significance. I, 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 everything would work out fine. What if I, you know, what if I just had a better spouse? Actually, I'd be, you know, what, what if I, um, What is it for you? If I just had that thing, all would be okay. All would work out. I would be affirmed. I could actually lead. See, bread is important. Nobody, and this is what's so subtle about this, is that, that, that we, our call gets undermined so quickly and so subtly. Because all these things are good. Do we need bread? Of course we do. And yet so often what we, what happens is that the very thing that we need, that is gonna give us power, both, it's gonna affirm who we are, we're gonna be power, we're gonna feel powerful. Or we're gonna have the power to, to move ahead. It, it, it gets really, really reduced. But when we're in the moment, when we're feeling desperate, we think, gosh, if I just, you know, if I just did, if I just killed that one Egyptian, then I would, I'd have the authority to lead the people out of Israel, or to lead the people out of Egypt. Just kill that one Egyptian, I'd have it. People would look at me and they'd go, yeah, I'm following that dude. When all the time he comes back and he thinks, you know what? Now I have what I need. I, the people saw that I that I stood up, and the and the, the the Israelites are going, who are you, dude? Come on, who are you? You have no credibility whatsoever. Just because you, you killed one slave master? No, who cares? You have no authority. You have no power. I didn't give you anything. In fact, it's nice that you actually walked out of the palace and noticed the rest of your people who are getting beat every single day. Jesus responds, with man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We have this moment when we realize that we don't maybe have what we need. And it is that moment to realize that it is not just bread or the, the relationship or the promotion or, or the outcome to a situation that we desperately want or, um, or finally the authority or, or finally the recognition that when we realize that that's, those are all maybe good things, but, but that really where all that we need is, is, is the word that comes out of God's mouth, is God's word to us each and every day that says, you know what, you are significant. You don't need, you don't need something to tell you that you are. You don't need someone to pat you on the back to tell you that you're called, that you're significant. Every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That is what, that is what moves us beyond simply saying, well, you know, I'm living, but I'm not thriving. So Jesus responds and goes, you know what? My call is not reduced to bread. I'll, I'll be just fine for, an, for another day. I don't live for that. I live by the word, every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And you look at Moses. What is Moses called to? He wasn't called to take out one Egyptian slave master. He was called to lead a nation, an entire nation of people out of, who had no power, out of the most powerful nation at the time. He, he will, he will be called to exercise the kind of power by God and by God's word that will, that will split water apart. He, he will be called to, to give the words of God that will now become the law that will, that will form new people. He will perform miracles that he never thought possible, that he never could do on his own when he realized that his calling was dependent 
on following and listening and responding the word, the word of God to him. So what is it that you now I want to take, I just want to take a moment to end this. Here, what, what do you think that you need right now? That if only I had this. I'd have what I need to move forward. What is that for you? The devil led him up to a high place. And showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all authority and splendor. I will give you all their authority and splendor for it has been given to me and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will be you all. It will all be yours. Jesus answered, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The first power that we're asked to exchange for something better after the power of acquisition is the power of entitlement. Back up. Hundreds of years earlier, and uh, the, the people had been rescued out of Egypt, and they are now in the land. And um, they come to a point where they say, you know what, um, we're here, and it's great, but you know what, we look around, and, and everybody else has a king, but we don't have a king. We need a king. Give us a king. And uh, the prophet at the time, Samuel, who um, had been leading them, who had been sharing. But here's the word of God. All you need is the word of God to lead. You are a kingdom of priests. You don't need a king. No, we need a king. You don't need a king. No, we need a king. Here's the deal. You can have a king. It's not going to go good for you, though. I just used to know that. Okay? Don't, we don't care. We want a king. All right. So we got a king. So a king is anointed, Saul. And Saul rises and he has some victory and, um, and the nation begins to come together. They begin to feel powerful. They, they begin to feel like, yeah, Saul is leading us in victory over our enemies. And yet pretty quickly starts falling apart. His authority starts falling apart. He starts just making um, bad mistake after bad mistake. I mean, it, the life of Saul is just, it, it's one of those, you know where you see people who just keep doing the same thing again and again, right? They, they just keep like hitting the same like, it's like Charlie Brown, right? I mean, Lucy puts up the football and goes, Hey, you want to kick the football? And you're like, dude, seriously, don't. Don't try to kick the football. It's not going to go good, right? And he just keeps doing it again and again. Bam! Bam! You see, Saul, he just keeps falling again and again and again. And eventually, the word comes to him and says, You know what? God has rejected you as king. He's anointed you. He's rejected you. You don't listen to him. You're out of control. He's rejected you as king. In the meantime... Uh, somebody else is anointed, this little shepherd boy, David. He's not even, the prophet Samuel, he, he comes into this village and it's, he's, he's kind of flying under the radar because right now Saul's not real happy about somebody else being anointed as king. Samuel goes to this village and everyone's kind of nervous. Um, but eventually he goes to this family and he, he goes to Jesse, the head of the family, said, bring me all, bring me all your, all your sons. He, he brings up the best and the brightest. He, he doesn't even call David. I mean, David is just like, he's in the back, you know. And he, and Samuel goes through and he goes, you know what? None of, none of these, they're all impressive. They're all big. They're all, they're, they're great. None of these guys are, are it though. This is, the Lord doesn't want any, any of these. And so eventually he, he anoints David. This little kid, he doesn't even know what's going on. David begins to rise, as we know, David begins to rise. It, David and Goliath happens. And suddenly, you know, there's this kid who's putting to shame uh, the armies of Israel who cannot face off against this giant because they're just, they're just freaked out. There's no armor that can help them. There's no amount of uh, people around him that give him the confidence. They are just scared to death. But David, somehow, he gets victories. And he's getting more and more victories. And, and, and pretty soon, he's rising uh, uh, in the house of Saul. And, and Saul sends him out. And, and every time he comes back, it, it's another victory. And pretty soon, Saul is going, this, this people are, he's getting nervous. 
He has, he feels like he doesn't have any authority, and yet everyone keeps going, David, 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 he's awesome, David, David. Well, David also, some of what he does is, is Saul begins to go mad because, because of jealousy. He begins to, he, he begins to be fearful because his authority is crumbling out from underneath him. He realizes that he's called to be king, but he's on his own. He starts going mad. David will come in and, and play the, play the heart for him and it soothes him down a little bit which is just so ironic because the very person that makes him the most scared is the person who also um, soothes his soul with the heart we come to this moment where we read that Saul was sitting in his house in his house with his spear in his hand while David was playing the harp Saul tried to was playing the harp Saul tried to pin him to the wall uh, um, and a, like an injurious spirit comes on Saul Saul tried to pin him to the wall with his spear, but David eluded him as Saul drove the spear into the wall. That night, David made good his, his escape. And so David has to flee for his life and he has to go out into the wilderness. And Saul begins to just, not kind of passively, not sort of like, a, not kind of sort of through the back door, not, cause he had tried to undermine David, but David just keeps succeeding and succeeding and succeeding. Now he's just outright chasing David. He runs, we have a, a number of, um, uh, honestly, comical incidents where Saul's trying to chase down David, who's he's got this ragtag group around him, and and he's chasing down David, and, and he and uh, David and the people that are with him, they go and they hide in the back of this cave, right? And Saul's out there, and he's you know he's running with his army. Let me find David, and, and pretty soon he's like, oh, hold on, I gotta go, right? Time out. I'm just gonna go up to the cave. I gotta. Um, do some business, drop the kids off at the pool, whatever it was. So he runs up to this cave, right? Well, he doesn't realize that David's in the back of the cave and could have taken him just, just like that. David almost, almost does. And, and, and yet comes out and says, look, Saul, he actually cuts off a little piece of his, his robe, comes out and says, look, Saul, I could have killed you. Why are you chasing me? I'm not your enemy. Saul kind of pulls back. Okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. What leaves? Eventually, um, Eventually, he tries to chase down David again, and, and this time he's camped out uh, near David, and David um, grabs one of his mighty men and says, come on, uh, Abishai, and he says, uh, Abishai, come on, while they're sleeping down there, while the armies are sleeping, come down with me. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep in the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abner is his main general um, uh, with him. Abishai said to David, Today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I won't strike him twice. Think about that for a second. What would you do? At this moment, you actually have this... Uh, your enemy, you are anointed, God has called you, and here's the, the guy that is looking dumber and dumber, chasing you down, and now you have this moment, and you got a guy right next to you that's saying, let me just, let me just, I'll hit him so hard, I only need to do it once. David said to Abishai, don't destroy him, who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him. Either this time, either his time will come and he will die or he will go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and the water jug um, that are near his head and let's go. One of the interactions that David has after he has these close encounters is as he's talking to Saul, he says this. May the Lord judge between you and me. May the Lord avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evil doers comes evil deeds. So my hand will not touch you. The power of entitlement. The power of entitlement, you guys, is so... Um, it, oh, this is, this is a tricky one. This is a mistress. When you feel a sense of call... There's nothing more powerful than a sense of call. Think about David. When you have a sense of uh, you're anointed and, and uh, you're going to be my king, when we feel entitled, we can do all kinds of things. If I'm entitled, if I'm the king, I'm entitled to take whoever's life I need to. If God has called me to this, then, then really I'm entitled to take out or take, take out whatever or whoever is in my way. Think about Christian history on this one. 
too much of our shameful Christian history is, a, is about us, um, is about us going for this. Is about us giving you this power of entitlement. We are the church. We are the, we are the protector of God's gospel. Therefore, we are entitled to kill anybody who stands in its way. To torture anybody who stands in its way. To, to, um, wipe out anybody who disagrees with us. Because we are God's anointed. We are God's called ones. And so, if we, if there is somebody or some group or, or, um, some people that stand in our way, we are entitled to wipe them out. The ends justify the means. It is the sense in which we, um, and this is a powerful one, but it is the sense in which we, looking for this, uh, apparently I lost a book that I was going to read. Oh well. Um, that is a magic trick. That's awesome. I carried it up here with me and, oh, oh, here we go. Um, it is a way in which we feel like if we're going to fulfill our calling, I'm entitled to do whatever I need to do to accomplish that. And yet when we, when we, uh, choose that power, we undermine, uh, ourselves in accomplishing the very thing that we are called to do. There's a, a writer who talks um, in this book, Tale of Three Kings, and he is reflecting on this whole relationship. And, and about how so often what we hit is that when we feel called into something, we immediately hit. This is probably perhaps one of the, the, the saddest things, the most disappointing things that we all hit, is that when we go out and we realize that the very leaders that we hoped um, would lead us forward are the very people who seem to be standing in the way of what we're called. The very organizations that we're supposed to take care of us are the organizations that sometimes make calling not um, just um, not easy. They don't enable it. They actually make it harder. That that the managers that we work for that we thought were um, adults actually are like grown up or like grown up junior hires who are taking pot shots at each other. It's brutal. And it is at that moment we have to begin to, to, what are we going to do with that disappointment? And what are we going to do with that even as we feel like they stand in the way of what God has called me to do? He writes this, David had a question, what do you do when someone throws a spear at you? Does it seem odd to you that David did not know the answer to this question? After all, everyone else in the world knows that what you do when a spear is thrown at you, why you pick up the spear and you throw it back. When someone throws a spear at you, David, just wrench it out of the wall and throw it back. Everyone else does that, you can be sure. And in performing this small feat of returning, um, throwing spears, you will prove a whole lot of things. You'll be courageous. You'll stand for what is right. You'll boldly stand against wrong. You are tough and you can't be pushed around. You, uh, you will not stand for injustice or unfair treatment. You are the defender of the faith, the keeper of the flame, the detector of all heresy. You will not be wronged. All of these attributes then combine to prove that you are also a candidate for kingship. Yes, perhaps you are the Lord's anointed after the order of King Saul. And there is a possibility that some 20 years later, after your coordination, you will be the most incredibly skilled spear thrower in all the realm, and also by then, quite mad. Everybody... Um, who leads and, um, and goes before us think that they are doing better than those who did before them. If we are to encounter and experience the power that will lead us to accomplish the very things that our heart desires most, we are going to have to lay aside the power of entitlement. We are going to have to, at some point, choose a different way. And that way, oftentimes, comes through sorrow and tears. It is the way that says, I will do good with what is before me, but I will not use the tools of those who are against me. I will not take the head of the king. Because if I take the head of the king to become king, someone's going to take my head. I cannot accomplish a good end through a dirty means. It never works. We cannot advance the gospel of Jesus Christ, the redemption of the world, by slaying people. 
It doesn't work. It doesn't work. So who's in your way? What's in your way? Who stands before you that you feel pretty justified in taking out and taking down? The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand at the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning uh, you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in, up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered, it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Go forward now. And think about Paul. The Apostle Paul probably accomplished at least the record that we have. He accomplished more in advancing the gospel than, than anybody. He turned the Roman world upside down. He did it, though, because he understood that he had to lay aside, that he had to turn in, that he could not accomplish his call and continue to hold on to the power of proof. The power of proof says, I have to prove to you, usually through something spectacular, that I, that I am called, that God is doing it. And the spectacular usually is, I'm going to prove to you, or that, that I, that God has called me, that He is doing something significant through me, because I'm not ever going to be able to be hurt. I'm going to throw myself off the temple. Spectacular. Everyone's going to go, no! Oh, but then I'm going to get scooped up and set down, and people are going to go, glory! He's the guy. Power of the spectacular proves it. You, power of the spectacular, you know, people, man, people are, are coming from all over the place. Man, the numbers prove that you are the one. Some of us are, are, feel like if only we could have, do something or accomplish something or gain something spectacular, we would be able to, to prove that would give us the power to be able to do what we want. That only if we can find that place, that think, that calling where, that I could, you know, I, God's hand always picks me up. I never have to go through suffering. Then, that's gonna prove. That's the point. That's the thing that's gonna give me the power. I'll be able to accomplish anything because God's gonna scoop me up right before I ever get hurt. And yet Paul knew that his only power came through suffering. You look at Paul's life and it is, uh, one list of, uh, failures and mishaps after another. It's amazing. He has to defend himself because people think he's not really, there's a lot, there's a, in the church of Corinth, a lot more people, a lot more, um, spectacular than you. So you know, you know what that's like. Trying to walk forward and people are looking at you going, yeah, you know, you're not that impressive to be honest. Well, let let me see. What what have you done recently? You know, you you don't, you don't really have much to prove what you're saying. So, so that's nice, but we're going to go with this person over here because they look better. They look shinier. They got more on their, re- they look, got more on their resume. And you just think, if I could just prove something, gosh, I gotta, I have to be able to, I have to find some, some proof, something spectacular somehow. Or, or, or we move from thing to thing. You go, God, God's gonna call me into a place where I never run into difficulty. And then you, you, you step out on faith and you realize this is just a disaster. And you think, okay, this isn't right. I gotta get out of here. Okay? It's proved. I mean, you think about Paul. He's in jail and you go, He's in jail. He's probably on his way to be executed. And out of the book of Philippians, he says, I just, you got to know, I'm just, a, I'm a prisoner for the Lord here. And you think, if there's ever proof, Paul, that you're not called, that you blew it, it's right now. Bro, you're in jail. You're stuck and you're on your way, you're on your way to get killed. And here's Paul going, hey, I'm not gonna, he's not moaning about it. He's not going, all right, I guess God's not in it. I guess God abandoned me. He's saying, you know what's awesome? I'm totally, I'm totally witnessing to the, the guards of Caesar. They're all on board. I'm turning the Roman world upside down, not because I get to stand up and there are throngs that are listening to me, but I, I actually am infecting Caesar's guards with the gospel. And they're speaking out boldly on it. The power of proof, when we let that go, we begin to look at the thing that is right in front of us and say, I don't have to prove anything. I hope that at one point I'll get, there'll be something significant. But at this moment, my job is to be faithful right here to testify that God is good and there is nothing that can overcome me. The power of proof gets us from trying to manipulate or get something that maybe we can never get to saying, I'm going to do the significant thing with the person that matters. Right here in front of me.
and not worry about whether it ever gets big recognition or not? What is it that you feel like you need? What's the proof? What's the thing that makes you feel like I'm not worthy? I'm not, I'm not any good. What I'm doing isn't good because, because it's not spectacular. I encourage you guys to, to read through these. I'm not going to give you, I'm not going to give you a lot of list of to do's except that you need to spend time before God on all these. And, and I encourage you to lift, lift them up. Pray through them. Read through them. Say, Lord, you know what? This sucks. I'm hurting. I, I, I'm getting stripped down here. So show me something different. Show me a different power. Show me where you are in this because you know, I don't have the bread that I need. So show me that I don't need it. Lord, there are people that are standing in the way of what you've called me to do, who are actively working against me. Lord, show, show me how I can be released from anger. Lord, help me to live today to trust not in, um, not in uh, being manipulative and taking somebody out, but Today, I'm going to delight in you today. Lord, release me from feeling like I have to be spectacular today. Sit with these. Think about what... Read these. Let this story replace the stories that you believe that undermine the very power that God has for you in your own call. I just want to mention this quickly because here's the thing. Paul talks about this later in the book of 2 Corinthians. We probably, I know we've mentioned it here. And he says, look, the tread... We're, we're being hard pressed on every side. We are cracked jars. Man, we are getting beat up. We're getting beat down, but we are not being destroyed. And here's what's awesome. That all this is happening, that, that I feel like I'm dying sometimes, but I'm doing so that, so that others can become alive, that in the very places where people think, um, that there's only one power. They have no idea of the power of the gospel, the power of God, the power of restoration. That, that we get to, through our cracked selves, because we are at our wit's end, because there is no other way, there's nothing else that can account for what is happening in and through us. That there is a dynamic power at work in us. Exactly, not because, you know, we're sad. Weakness, power made perfect in weakness is not the fact that when we go, well, you know, I suck, so I guess God's going to show up in that. It's the fact that we're pushed to the end, and yet God still shows up in, it, in the midst of it. We're pushed into a place most people run, and yet God is somehow at work in it. We go, I don't know how they're even hanging in there. I, I, I don't know what, they don't have anything to draw on. And yet God still does something amazing. It, it, it is when that happens that we begin to live into a calling to more.